You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hello, and welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandcatapults.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. This is episode number 371. If you've been here for any amount of time, maybe you've been here for the past seven years, maybe you're relatively new, you know that we talk a lot about body image and body acceptance and having a positive relationship with food and exercise and understanding the traps of diet culture and how being on a diet can negatively impact your physical and mental health long term. But it's been a minute since we dedicated an entire episode to really unpacking how to pursue health and making decisions that are right for your body without falling into a dieting mindset. The reality is every day, all day, you are being influenced by a culture that is all about you being on a diet to gain or maintain your worth, health, and acceptance. And it has led to many of us sacrificing our health, whether that's your period, your mental health, or your hormones, in order to properly manage the anxiety that comes when you believe you need to be restricting and dieting or eating, eating you know, at a certain time to be healthy or lose weight. Pulling back the curtain and unraveling those core beliefs many of us once had about dieting can be really liberating, but it also leaves you in this space where you feel like you're in between two worlds. You want to be healthy and feel well and pursue health in a way that works best for you, but you don't want to fall into the trap of constantly restricting and dieting and finding your worth in what you eat and your weight. Today, I'm going to be unpacking all of these things with Dr. Laura Zabaris. She's a psychologist who specializes in food freedom and the relationship we have with food and our bodies. It's a big topic. We've got a lot of questions from all of you to answer today, so I'm so excited to have her to, you know, just talk through some of these things, these big concepts. I, I you know, Steph and I talk about this a lot, but I, I really wanted to bring somebody else on to kind of dive a little deeper and just make an entire episode about this so that we can hear from other people's perspective and other people um, who have been there. So before we dive in, um, if you experience stress, anxiety, chronic pain, or have trouble sleeping at least once a week, you could benefit from a little thing called CBD oil. About a year ago, nobody's heard of that, right? Um, about a year ago, I started experimenting with CBD mostly to help manage my occasional anxiety and sleep disturbances. And it has been a game changer for me. Specifically, when I wake up in the middle of the night, it's kind of my fast pass to going back to sleep. One of the problems that I had with looking into CBD oil was additives and quality. And eventually I found Feels. So it's F-E-A-L-S. And why I ultimately chose Feels is that it's organic, natural, and is entirely produced in the USA. They use 100% organic MCT oil as the carrier oil. 
And um, that stabilizes and increases CBD's bioavailability. So their products are formulated with only the purest ingredients without the use of fillers or flavors or anything like that. The way it works, and this is what I was kind of confused about, but once I learned a little bit more, I was way more open to experimenting with it. So it naturally helps to reduce stress, anxiety, and pain and sleeplessness. And CBD actually interacts with your endocannabinoid system to bring about those benefits. So just like we have receptors for dopamine and serotonin, we also have receptors for cannabinoids. And these receptors act like traffic cops to control the levels of activity of most of the other neurotransmitters. So taking CBD oil is not addictive and there are no psychoactive properties, but it can really help to regulate some of this neuroactivity and help with our anxiety and stress and pain and all of that. So it couldn't be easier to use. You literally just take a dropper, place it under your tongue, um, and you'll feel the difference within minutes. And the thing to remember is that potency is really important. So if you've tried it before and it didn't work for you, it's likely because you didn't have a product that had like a decent dose in it because there's no regulation on that, by the way. They don't have to. They can say that there is a certain amount of CBD in something, but There's no testing required to prove that. And you may actually have to take a little bit more than you think. So the best way to get high-quality CBD oil at a discount is to become a Feels member. That gives you a 30% discount, which is huge. This is what I do. Um, I have the 1,200-milligram bottle shipped to me monthly. And as a member, you can pause or cancel at any time. So if you want, you can have the membership. If you end up with two or three bottles that you get at a discount, pause it and wait until you use those and then start it again. And the shipping's always free. And with our special code, you actually get 50% off your first order. So that's feels.com forward slash well-fed. Become a member and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. Again, that's feels, F-E-A-L-S.com forward slash well-fed to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Oh, And Feels is now doing CBD-infused mints. It's a brand new product. You can add that to your monthly subscription for a clear-headed feeling on the go. Feels.com slash well-fed. Now let's bring on Dr. Laura. So Dr. Laura Zabaris is a psychologist and food freedom coach. She helps women develop a healthy and happy relationship with food without guilt or emotional eating. She is the founder of the Health Mindset Matters program, which helps women discover the science and psychology behind why they've struggled with weight and binges and emotional eating. Women learn how to tune into their bodies and rediscover how to eat for both nourishment and enjoyment, creating a mindset for sustainable health. Welcome, Dr. Laura. Thank you so much for having me, Noelle. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to have you here and just to have this discussion. I was so excited when you reached out to me because most women like ourselves have been on a <laughs> diet, many diets. I know yeah. <laughs> both of us started dieting in our teens and a lot of women in this community have I think moved past thinking that they need to be on a restrictive diet to be healthy. However, when we become adults and have babies and feel the pressure to lose weight or look a certain way, man, it is hard to not slip back into thinking dieting is going to solve all of our problems. And Mm -hmm. I think really... It's because most women are trying to combat diet culture everywhere they look. Mm. It's it's hard yeah. to it, you know it's 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 interesting to now look back and see wow how was diet culture influencing 
you know, women or us, me in particular, as a teenager versus now. And it's still mm-hmm. a relationship that we have to continue to navigate. So I'd love for you to bring light to exactly like what is diet culture and how does it appear in our society today? Like for us as adult women. (laughs) Yeah. So basically diet culture is a set of beliefs that values thinness or your shape above everything else. And that includes your mental health. And it's diet culture that shapes our perceptions about our weight, our health and our appearance. And I think it's got to the point where it really warps our perception of what beauty is or what health is Mm. or our bodies. And I think you pick up on such a good point there because diet culture, I think when I was certainly in my teens, was very much about it was just about losing weight. And that was the key focus. Whereas I think now it's transitioned a little bit more to be maybe more marketable and more palatable to more people where the focus is on quote unquote health. But there's still this idea that you need to look a certain way in order to be healthy. And so what diet culture does, there's a focus on food restriction. So whether you're cutting calories or food groups. It also labels food as either good or bad. So it's just very much this all or nothing thinking. It's one or the other. And I think what diet culture does is it normalizes speaking badly about yourself. So there's a real pressure to look a certain way. I mean, think about how many people say, oh, I need to lose weight or I need to tone up before I get in that bikini. Like that's just a thing that diet culture tells us. So it idolizes this look and that look is lean and toned. It's probably got abs. I know you talk about that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think in terms of where it appears in society, it's everywhere because it's the images and the messages we get everywhere, whether that's social media, whether it's our friends and family, it's people always And again, maybe they're not using the word diet. Maybe they're saying, I'm doing a healthy eating plan. It's in the TV that we watch, in the adverts that we watch. It's all about this idea that in order to be happy and healthy, we must look a certain way or be a certain size. And that probably means we're going to be eating a certain way as well. One of the things that you said, it just struck me, is body loathing is diet culture. Mm -hmm. And so Mm. many women do this, not just to themselves and in their own head constantly. And look, I still do it. This is not something Mm -hmm. that I have risen above, right? Like, this is Mm -hmm. something I still do on a, on a, you know, regular basis where you pick apart certain things that you don't like, and you, and you kind of are degrading yourself in your head, but also it's become standard or the norm for us Mm -hmm. to talk bad about our own bodies in front of other women in front of our yep. children on Instagram we take a picture and yep. we have to like apologize or say oh but I embrace my flaws you know like say even saying that saying like oh you have all these flaws but look at me I'm embracing them like that is still <laughs> tearing your own body down it's become so normal in our society to do that and doing that is almost seen as oh look she's so humble and, and it really mm-hmm. it helps nobody it doesn't help yourself it doesn't help the people living listening to you and it sure as heck doesn't help your children. Yeah. Yes, I totally agree. And 
it has become so normalized, hasn't it, that that Mm -hmm. is a totally accessible thing to do. The way you talk about yourself is not going to be very positive. Yeah. So what are some examples, I I wonder, of other, like, what are, I I, kind of want to stick with this whole, we're adults and how are we seeing it now? Body Mm. loathing is an interesting example of diet culture, but what are some other examples that I think most women are being influenced by on a daily basis? Mm. So I think the thing that comes up so much is that diet culture perpetuates the disordered eating. So it pretty much everything you see in diets, or well, they're not talking that calling themselves diets anymore, healthy eating right. plans, it perpetuates a very disordered relationship. So you have certain ones that restrict your calories to like 1200 a day, but that's the calorie needs of a toddler. That's really disordered eating. It's other ones that again, not necessarily calling themselves diets, but they'll classify food. So you've got food on like a red, amber or green system or even a point system. Mm. So that's restricting foods and it's telling you that some are better than others. So it's, oh, it does everything. It puts it on a pedestal. It tells you that you're bad for eating certain foods. Um, and things like intermittent fasting, I think, just gets you to completely ignore your hunger. And, you know, that's one of the first things I did when I was trying to lose weight when I was a teenager was I skipped meals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now it's like normal and everyone's right. doing it. Right, right. Um, so I think that that disordered approach to eating is is so normalized. And even if you if you say, well, I'm not dieting I'm following a healthy eating plan but even a lot of the healthy eating plans out there are super rigid they tell you when and how to eat and I think they don't account for like taste and preference and hunger like you may be hungry on one day because you've done a workout but the next day you're not hungry but you're being told to eat in a certain way every single day because that's what the healthy eating plan tells you to do Mm-hmm. How is diet culture and how are how is diet culture and weight loss connected? Because sometimes for me, I feel like what triggers our response to want to be on a diet is obviously we see a lot of images or a lot of expect. Even now, I will go on this rant. What we're seeing on Instagram, for example, or in, mm-hmm. you know, with photos, we're not actually seeing real people anymore. We're seeing highly yeah. filtered, highly um, you know, shifted images and it's so easy to do it now it is so easy to take a video of somebody and mm-hmm. with an app shrink and make you know women's either hips smaller butt smaller you know give them abs like it's so easy to do that and many women are see are bombarded with these images yeah. of not real women so how yeah. does this desire where does this desire for weight loss because i don't believe it's inherently bad to always want to lose weight i think that when we go swing all the way mm. to the other side of the spectrum and we say oh it's bad you should never desire that you should never want to lose weight you should never mm. want to change your body like i think it's okay to change your body but i do think that 90 percent of the time you know our culture drives weight loss as the primary focus mm-hmm. as opposed to like weight loss is going to improve your health as opposed to focus on like what makes you feel good and improving your health and see how if your if your weight shifts if your weight shifts great if it doesn't like you're still you're still pursuing health right so weight loss and health aren't mutually exclusive and 90 percent of the time women have this like idea that 
they have to be smaller, right? And that's a requirement yeah. of health. So yeah. how are weight loss and and diet culture, even though I just kind of went on a rant and talked about it on my own, <laughs> but how are weight loss and diet culture intertwined? And what does that drive for weight loss do when it comes to like our relationship with, with dieting and diet culture? Yeah. And I think exactly what you said, there's this beauty ideal that we see absolutely everywhere and it's and I think one thing I think is so important for people to realize is that beauty ideal has changed so Mm -hmm. what was considered beautiful in the 1950s and the 1960s was different in the 80s 90s and is different now but what we're seeing everywhere is a very tall slim toned gorgeous woman who has um, perfect flawless skin uh, but also quite an ample butt and, you know, pert breasts. Mm-hmm. And that beauty ideal is absolutely everywhere. But, you know, biologically speaking, the vast majority, probably about 95% of people don't have the genetics to actually achieve that body ideal. And then just like you said, most of what we see on social media and definitely in magazines has been filtered and airbrushed. So, you see people, you know, I've, I've seen the process of what editors do when they um, digitally change people's legs to create thigh gaps and they enhance people's bums and they create abs on people who don't have abs. So we're trying to achieve something that doesn't exist. So if you're constantly trying to measure yourself up to that, then you think, well, therefore I need to lose weight because most of what we see is smaller or seems smaller than what you are. So you think, well, therefore I need to lose weight. And then that's what takes people down that kind of slippery slope with that really disordered eating and restriction, uh, extreme restriction and everything. And I, and I agree with you, what you said about, um, you know, I, I don't, there are loads of people that want to lose weight and I understand why people want to lose weight because we live in a culture that's obsessed with thin is better. It's that Mm -hmm. idea that's everywhere. So it's no wonder, but I think when you take weight loss away or you, you take it off as your main focus. So you stop focusing on that as your primary focus. And instead you focus on health promoting behaviors. So maybe you do need to, add more activity into your life, or maybe you do need to, um, or do want to focus on eating a few more fruit and veg in your week, or maybe even want to focus on getting more sleep. Often those create the long-term sustainable changes um, and make you feel better in the process. If you are a female and you are living in the modern world, you likely deal with some form of anxiety and or stress and or sleep issues on a semi-regular basis like me. And one of the things that's not talked about often that can help support stress and anxiety is magnesium. Many people understand that magnesium helps sleep, but the body actually needs magnesium for so much more than that because it's involved in 80% of the body's metabolic reactions and about 75% of people are not getting enough magnesium, especially women, because stress burns up magnesium. 
One critical thing you can do today to support your adrenals, hormones, and mental health is to take a compound magnesium supplement like Magnesium Breakthrough. Stress and anxiety deplete your magnesium levels. Low magnesium levels can contribute to more anxiety. It's a vicious cycle. So by supplementing with Magnesium Breakthrough, you can break that cycle because you'll be getting seven unique forms of organic full-spectrum magnesium for stress relief and better sleep. I've been taking two every night before bed for the last couple of years, and it's one of the only nutrients that I'm like, this is, this has to happen daily. And there's a new and improved formula with Magnesium Breakthrough, so they're making it more absorbable, which I really appreciate because they want to make sure we're getting our magnesium and we need it. Uh, For our exclusive offer, go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash wellfed. Our code is wellfed10. You will also save if you buy in bulk, which we do. And I just went ahead and added a subscription because I keep running out and I know that I'm going to be taking two every night. I know my husband is too. So we buy the bulk option. I just went ahead and did a subscription every three months, which gave us an additional discount on top of that. So that's nice. Again, our link is Mag Breakthrough. So it's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com forward slash wellfed. Our coupon code for 10% off is WellFed10. Yeah, I think, you know, as you were just talking, I kind of had this idea of diet culture is just sort of clouds our ability to make appropriate health decisions for ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's not bad to maybe, you know, like you said, maybe you you do need to exercise more to feel better because we know mm-hmm. all these amazing mm-hmm. things about exercise. It improves your mental health, yeah. your physical health, all that sound. And it's outside of weight loss. And maybe you, you know, exercise is, is what is best for you, but mm-hmm. diet culture and all of these, you know, fitness culture, fitness myths, I will say rules, you need to, you know, push through the pain, never miss a Monday, all those things. That's a fit. That's, you know, similar to diet culture, it's fitness culture, clouding our ability to make health decisions for ourselves. And therefore, we become yeah. miserable and we continue to do the things that may not be right for us. So, for example, with diet culture, you know, we try to get ourselves down to a specific weight or our stomach to look a specific way or our thighs to look a specific way. When it's genetically maybe not even right for us or possible. Mm -hmm. So we spend our lives trying to attain something that isn't right for us, isn't necessary for health and isn't necessary for beauty or attractiveness. One of the things that I found that was so interesting when I wrote my article about six pack abs is that literally two percent. This is not an exaggeration. 2% of people find a flat stomach or six-pack abs a requirement of attractiveness. Well, I'm not attracted to somebody unless they have six-pack abs. 2%. But yet we focus all of our effort and time as as young women, you know, thinking we need to have a flat stomach and six-pack abs. And that's for what? For what? Yeah. So um, (laughs) and I find it really interesting, too. You mentioned the, you know, beauty beauty has changed our standards have changed and even mm. that's even changed for us as adults you know when we were younger yes. it was skinny and you know yeah. nothing tastes as good as skinny feels and then it became mm-hmm. strong as the new skinny so it quickly turned into not only do you have to be super thin but now you have to be muscular lean yeah and thin <laughs> like, like okay thanks so and and yeah but with decent butt sized boots as well which is right. what i always point out like that's really hard to achieve it's like You're not sad. possible <laughs> it's like exactly. when you lose weight you lose it from your butt and your this is what happens (laughs) so yeah it's just even crazy how we can see that change and i do think 
I don't know what your opinion, you know, you you mentioned, I thought this was really important that we've made diet culture has become more palatable. It's become a marketing, mm. you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, look, we're body positive. We're not. It's Noom is not a diet, right? It's not. A, yes, yeah. it is a diet. Just because you say something isn't a diet um, or you say something isn't about yeah. weight loss doesn't mean that that's true because we can see yeah. that it is. Right. Um, and and so it's even changed now. I do think that we have so many examples now of women who are of all variety of sizes. Like I do think there's this amazing movement that has happened the last 10 years of body acceptance and body positivity and accepting um, Mm. that you don't have to be thin to be healthy. Right. But at the same time, so many brands are using that now as a marketing technique to sell their diet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. And so, I think that's the sneakiness of it, isn't it? Because it yes. is, is it's so sneaky, I think, diet culture. And and they make an awful lot of money from making us feel bad about ourselves. The more bad, the worse I feel about myself, the more likely I am to go and pursue something, whether it's Noom or WW as they've rebranded themselves, because I want to change myself. And that that's it's a problem because they want us to feel bad. <laughs> yeah. If you take Weight Watchers out of the word and just put WW, it's still the same diet. It's still, yes, it's still exactly. the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you talk a lot about core beliefs that keep women stuck in a dieting mindset. What are those yeah. core beliefs? Because I, I think that's going to be really helpful at, at women being able to unravel some of these mm-hmm. ideas that they, you know, hold yeah. on to that keeps them stuck. Yeah. So... My background as a psychologist, the whole concept of core beliefs is just so important in terms of they are the general principles and assumptions that guide you through life. And they can either be positive or self-limiting. And what they do is core beliefs shape our sense of self-worth and then they impact the decisions we make. And the thing is that core beliefs start very young. I do always say to people that they're learned. So that means we can unlearn them. But at that very young age, we're really impressionable. So things that our parents say to us or other caregivers or teachers, siblings, things that people say to us, it sticks. So you may be really fortunate and have very positive core belief that you feel like you're worthy just as you are. And then that kind of person, which is not me, I'll just say, but that kind of person can very easily navigate through toxic diet culture because you feel like you don't need to change to fit someone else's standards, i.e. diet culture standards. But actually, most of us, anyone who has dieted or got stuck in disordered eating or um, trying to change their shape, it's often because we have these self-limiting core beliefs and that they and they speak to our unworthiness. So this idea that we're not good enough as we are, so we need to change. And the two core beliefs that I see coming up time and time again in my coaching, and one is this idea, and we've actually just touched on it, this idea that thin is better or thin is healthier, it's better to be thin. That's one core belief. And the other core belief is that eating bad food makes me a bad person. Um, and and it's funny when you say it out loud, it, it sounds silly and most people are like, yeah, well, I would never think that. But it's it's so deeply ingrained that that eating bad food makes me a bad person often, often comes out as someone who ends up 
um, binging in secret because they want to be eating that food while no one else is watching. And so if we talk about that um, thin is better one, it, it's such a classic one. And everything that we've just talked about, this the messages that we get in diet culture, that um, our bodies need to be changed, but it may stem from something that happened to you or multiple things that happened to you as a child. Maybe you were weighed at school, maybe you got teased for your body, maybe someone commented on your weight. And I know that also it might not necessarily be stuff that is done or said to you. It could be things that you see. So if you saw your mum dieting when you were growing up or your aunts, or maybe you heard your mum saying negative things about her body, that can really ingrain in you this idea that thin is better and so it may see t- seem totally irrational to you right now, but there's something going on that's in your core, core belief um, that thin is better. So one of the things I, I get a lot of my clients to do is, first of all, question that core belief. So is th- thin really better? And I know that you speak on this a lot, that we know that actually being thinner doesn't necessarily mean that you're healthier. So and And a lot of the work that I do and it sounds a little bit woo-woo but actually coming up with different like positive affirmations around that core belief so if you do have a core belief thin is better then actually something around all bodies are worthy regardless of their weight and size can be a really nice mantra for someone to have that they repeat over and over and um, check to change that core belief um, and then the other core belief that I mentioned about this eating bad food makes me a bad person, that really is, I see that so often in people where families um, talked a certain way about food. So maybe they said it was quite naughty to eat certain foods or they were staying their family on diet. So they were restricting a lot. Maybe their family had like planned cheat days, for example. And I think as a child, if you hear your parents talk about oh it's so naughty that I'm eating this Mm -hmm. you're not old enough to realize that um you know they're just being silly when they say that but actually you think as a child oh well I want to eat it or I am eating it and therefore I am naughty as well and this kind of core belief I think leads to people who restrict a lot and then overindulge a lot so you often see this in that sort of binge um, or restrict binge cycles. So, and then a lot of people who say that they eat in secret, this is often the reason why, because they feel, well, I'm a bad person um, if I'm eating this. So I need to do this in secret where actually no one can see me doing it. So there's like a lot of guilt and shame um, involved in this. Yeah. So unpicking yeah. this is a lot about actually really considering how you talk about food and is it actually bad or is it just eating? (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that one is really interesting about feeling like you're like certain foods are bad and you're bad if you eat them, because Mm. that's just Mm. not something that we see from parents. You know, our, our, our parents' generation was all about dieting and being on a diet and restricting. And that was like the huge calorie restriction, you know, phase. And, but it's everywhere. It's even on, pa- you know, mm-hmm. food packaging, guilt-free. Anytime you see yes. that, like it yes. is so ingrained in us everywhere you look 
that there are good foods and there are bad foods. And Mm -hmm. these bad foods make you are kind of like tied into your morality and you're a bad Mm -hmm. person or bad things are going to happen if you engage with that. I know that I think that there's always a tension when it comes to this concept and letting go of dieting, because I do think that people Mm -hmm. see positive change from restricting certain foods or exercising more or whatever. And I do, you know, there's a constant struggle with trying to, to like, I want to do this stuff. I want to like, you Mm -hmm. know, I restricted and I felt better or I exercised more and I felt better. And, um, like, I want to keep doing it. And then all of a sudden, like you said, people don't and they fall off the wagon or whatever, because now they're so restrictive or now they're punishing themselves with exercise. And so everybody continues to think, oh, if I could just do that more, like I would feel better. Mm -hmm. Or if I could just Mm -hmm. stop, you know, eating these foods that make me feel bad, like I would be good, but I can't. So why can't I? (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so what do you what what kind of recommendations do you have for people who feel like, you know, I have things that I know don't make me feel good. And but you're telling me they're not bad, but I know that they don't like they don't make me feel Mm -hmm. great. So like, how can I make choices for my health without feeling this like tension of restrict binge that, you know, that cycle. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a, it's such a good question. Cause I think this is all the, the journey that I have been on so much in my journey from being very disordered um, in my eating to having food freedom. But I think it is, there is a real tension because a lot of what we have to question is, are you eating in this way because diet culture is telling me that I should eat this way or am I genuinely doing it because of how it's making me feel? And I think one of the things that I like to help my clients separate is um, where in a diet mindset, food is restricted, you've labeled it good or bad, and there's quite um, an all or nothing mentality So it's one extreme or the other. And this is where I think you see a lot of this um, restricting and binging. So I'm either completely restricting, I'm just not going to eat that food, whatever it is, I'm not going to eat bread. And then suddenly you're out at a restaurant, there's a beautiful pile of bread in front of you and you eat the whole bowl. And so that is one extreme. And I think where where we want to end up is a place where Nothing is restricted, at least mentally restricted or physically restricted, unless obviously you have a a medical reason to do so. So I totally know that there are people who um, struggle with certain health issues, and in which case you will want to restrict food. But I think you're coming at it from a very different perspective. So food becomes a neutral thing. It's not good or bad. It's just food. So it's an apple or a chocolate bar. It's not necessarily good or bad. And rather than having that all or nothing mentality, there's a lot of gray in there. And I think where we want to end up is eating stuff that makes us feel good, but without that diet culture hat sitting on our head. Mm -hmm. And it may be that a lot of that is learning how to tune into our bodies more, um, listen to that feeling of hunger and fullness listen to what you find satisfying. So maybe you find texture or temperature or taste satisfying. So a lot of this is about tuning into that eating experience and then also listening to your body afterwards. So if 
you know, for the years I used to tell people that I had a gluten intolerance because of diet culture. It was totally a diet culture thing. It was not an actual gluten intolerance. It's just that I had, I got myself so worked up about uh, anything with like bread, et cetera, that I think I actually gave myself stomach aches over Mm -hmm. the stress Mm -hmm. of it. Since I've now found food freedom, I certainly don't have a gluten intolerance and I can eat bread and various things um, happily and I don't have that stomach ache that I used to have. But what I do find sometimes is that um, like quality of food sometimes can make me not feel so great. So mm-hmm. like I've had a couple of times where I'm rushing from meeting to meeting and maybe I, I pop in somewhere really rubbishy and get a sandwich because I'm starving Um, And that's obviously fine, but I will know that that sandwich is not going to make me feel so good. And I can feel it. Maybe it does sit a bit heavier in my stomach. Maybe it doesn't make me feel that energy that I would like to feel after I've eaten. So I think that process of that balance, that juggle, which I think is really hard, and that tension between the two is a journey that a lot of people can need to go on. But with that willingness to really listen and tune into their body and understand what their body's feeling like, and at the same time, try as much as you can to drown out the the diet culture voices, which is hard and a process, but it's a journey that can be done, I think. I have always loved coffee, but after having my second, I really wanted to support healthy cortisol rhythms. I was struggling with sleep quality, and I started noticing that coffee was actually making me feel anxious. Now, what I miss about caffeine is the nice little pick-me-up and increased focus that I used to experience in the morning. So I started becoming more interested in adaptogens, which are herbs and functional mushrooms that help your body adapt to stress. They essentially boost your resistance and tolerance when it comes to emotional and physical stress and provide your body with the support it needs only when it needs it. Research shows adaptogens can actually help balance cortisol, combat fatigue, enhance focus, ease anxiety, and support proper hormone function. And after looking at a lot of different ways to supplement with adaptogens, I found a little thing called red juice from Organifi. The more I researched, the more I realized the easiest and the best way to enjoy adaptogens is with superfood blends that can be added to water. And now I love it. So I drink red juice from Organifi three to four times a week, mostly mid-morning, and it's incredible for energy support and focus. It's basically a red berry antioxidant blend that has cordyceps, rhodiola, and reishi. Cordyceps is one of my favorite functional adaptogens because it boosts energy and immunity and stamina. I call it a mom adaptogen because don't we all need that? And when I am stressed out and not sleeping, I take something called green juice mid-morning and I finish the day with gold chocolate. Uh, The gold chocolate drink has reishi in it and that has helped me so much. So days when I'm a little bit more anxious, I'll have that as like my little after dinner drink, my little dessert, and it's so good. So I've totally fallen in love with Organifi. All of their superfood adaptogen blends are 100% certified organic. They contain high quality ingredients and are free of fillers. And guess what? They actually taste really good. And they just launched a brand new flavor. It's called Organic Green Juice Crisp Apple. 
So good. Y'all know my love for apples. I would definitely give that one a try. The green juice has just been really great for me for stress support. They have all different types of drinks. So ones that you can drink in the morning, midday, and then evening. Some mix with cold water, some mix with warm water. You can support your body, energy, and immunity and stress with Organifi. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. So you can experience Organifi's high quality superfood blends without breaking the bank by going to Organifi.com forward slash wellfed. Our code is wellfed for 20% off your order. Again, that's Organifi. So O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash wellfed. Our code is wellfed for 20% off. Yeah, it's all about mindset, which is the hardest Mm -hmm. thing, right? It's it's hard to shift your mindset. So if you're in a dieting mindset and you're thinking, I can't, I don't like I I can't have gluten. It's bad for me. Yeah. Shifting that to say gluten really doesn't make you feel great. And you figure that yeah. out, right? Um yeah. and and you when you eat gluten, you have whatever stomach aches or something. Let's just just say you have, you know, digestive distress. Mm-hmm. You can move into a place where you have a health mindset, which is, I really don't want to feel like crap. <laughs> yeah. I don't want my yeah. my digestion to be off. So I'm going to restrict it. Restricting foods for your health for like because mm. you have an intolerance or an allergy is not diet culture. It's you making mm-hmm. a decision because you know, A, you have an allergy and you can't eat it. Or B, you have mm-hmm. some sort of negative reaction when you eat that specific food. And there is yeah. a delicate balance of okay, am am I taking all the the stuff that I'm hearing on the internet or you know, from you know podcasters or whatever and yeah. i'm and I'm hearing that gluten is gonna kill me. And so that's why I'm saying, oh, I'm gonna restrict gluten or do I actually know like this is this mm-hmm. is not making me feel great. So I'm just choosing not to eat it. And I think that one of the things that I um always recommend people question is like, could could you just go to you know, grab a piece of bread and eat it and not feel bad about that? Like, do you know that Mm. if you eat that piece of bread, you're fine? Like, you're not a bad person. You haven't derailed anything, right? Because if you have this dieting mindset, eating a piece of bread is going to screw you up for the rest of the day, right? You're mentally going to (laughs) be- And a lot of guilt. Yes, beating yourself up. You're going to feel like, did I just, you know, did I just mess up my health? Mm -hmm. What did I just do? And, you know, you're going to kind of, it's going to be on your mind. And I think we can all relate to that where we've, you know, Mm -hmm. been in this dieting mindset where we quote unquote mess up. And what does it lead to? Either you tailspin and you start, you eat, you know, the whole loaf of bread or you beat yourself up and and therefore you have to like work out and make up for it and get rid of that guilt and that shame. Right. Whereas if you're approaching it with like health, uh, you know, gluten doesn't make me feel great. Um, and you eat a piece of bread, you know, okay, great. I'm just not going to feel great, but you move on with your day as normal. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's kind of a good, I feel like what I had to practice myself, which is do, am I doing this out of dieting and fear and shame and guilt? Or am I doing this because, you know, I'm learning my body and I'm making these decisions for myself? Mm. Yeah. Um, Well, and I think a a good, to build on what you're saying, a good way of thinking about that is, food rules versus food preferences and 
Hmm. Obviously, the rules come from diet mentality, but preferences, you're okay. it's okay to have preferences. And those preferences may be that you prefer kale over chocolate. And that's fine as long as that genuinely is your preference rather than just because diet culture tells you maybe the other way around maybe you prefer chocolate over kale great you know and it's um identifying what it really is for you that um that perspective as opposed to because diet culture told me Mm -hmm. i'm definitely gonna judge you if you don't if you think chocolate is worse than kale (laughs) like i'm just saying no just kidding <laughs> like there are, I know there are people out there who don't like chocolate. I just don't understand you. I, I never will understand. Okay, um, chocolate, chocolate's my thing, obviously. Okay, so yeah, let's. I jump- love chocolate as well. I'm a <laughs> chocolate person too. Yes, yes. Okay, so there. Um, I want to jump into questions from our community because we have a lot of great ones. So this one's from Lauren. She said. Can you give me some help with overcoming fear foods? So how how do we get over this fear of certain foods? So I just want to say to Lauren that this can be a really hard process and a process that I've been through um, myself. So I really, really get this. And I had so many foods that were my fear foods for a long time. And I have a story about this, actually, because... When I um, first was recovering from my eating disorder, which was bulimia, um, one of the things I worked with uh, with my um, nutritional, I had a nutritional therapist who helped me face my fear foods. And one of the big fear foods I had was, uh, I think you call it peanut butter and jelly in America. Yeah, what do you call it? We call it peanut butter and jam. So, Oh, okay. So, yeah. So PB&J on toast and I was terrified of that food because it was one of the foods that I used to binge on and then obviously purge and so he said to me I would actually really like you to eat this for breakfast every day and I was terrified of it obviously it was a fear food but I went ahead and tried it and I was like okay I will um, do what he tells me to do and every day for breakfast I would have two pieces of toast with peanut butter and jelly spread over it and I honestly thought I was going to eat that every day for breakfast because I had been restricting for so long or um, binging on it. But it got to about three and a half weeks in and I was like, yeah, you know what? I don't want to eat peanut butter and jelly today. And I had something else for breakfast. And then he helped me go through this process of of facing a lot of my fear foods. And we did it in exactly the same way. So I had a list and with the top most fearful ones. Um, and sometimes I would choose a really fearful one. And sometimes I would choose one that I was kind of like, so, so about, and I would have it in my house and I would like literally force myself to eat it every day. And over a period of time, I can't quite remember how long it took me, but over a period of time, I went from where I was either like fully restricting these foods or I was binging on them, which made them my fear foods, to now having literally everything in my fridge or my cupboard. So I have everything at home. I have the ice cream, I have the crisps, I have the chocolate. And occasionally I have them and occasionally and mostly I don't. But I think mostly what it is, is is facing those foods and being okay with eating them. And yeah, there will be times when you feel like you have overeaten them, you've had way too much. But keeping them in your house, I think is absolutely key and knowing that they're there tomorrow, 
you're less likely to want to binge on something if you know that it's going to be in your house tomorrow and then the day after and the day after that. Yeah, I love that. Okay, this one's from Lacey, and this is um, a two-parter. Lacey says, where's the line? So where is the line between taking care of my body and honoring my health and it becoming obsessive? And then a follow-up, Lauren said, also how to sort through the staggering amounts of conflicting information about health and wellness in quotations. So first, let's talk about where's that line, which is so hard to figure out. <laughs> mm. Yes, again, such a huge question. And I, again, so when I read that, I was like, oh, this just feels like me because about three years ago, I was just recovering from orthorexia. And so I was really in, I'd been through that journey of really trying to get quote unquote healthy, but it became super obsessive, like overly obsessive. And I think the big thing is when it starts to impact your mental health, which it did for me, and then you have to really question that. But I think one of the things that has really helped me in that journey is, is having more flexibility. So I think when you are, <laughs> that line is, you're taking care of your health and then it becomes too obsessive. That's when your rules are way too rigid. And it's also, so having more flexibility around how you eat and how you exercise. And, you know, if you miss a day, that's cool. And I think it also, st it starts with seeing your health, your quote unquote health as something much broader than just what you're eating and how much you move. Because I think a lot of what we see in diet culture and even fitness is that it's all about what you eat and how much you move. But actually, health is about your mental health. It's about your social and the environment you live in and whether you see your friends and how much you get outside and um, how much sleep you get and those kinds of things. So if you take a slightly broader approach, I think it can take some of the obsession away because then we know that actually what we eat and how much we exercise takes up a much smaller piece of the pie. And so we can be a bit more flexible with ourselves. Um, so that's, I think, answering that one. But the, <laughs> the second part of the question, my goodness, the conflicting information around Health and wellness, it is staggering. And I think even for me with someone who's got a psychology degree, well, multiple psychology degrees, I'm trained as a health coach and trained um, in other things as well. Even I find it difficult sometimes to sort through some of the conflicting advice. And I've definitely gone down the path where, um, like I mentioned, I had uh, suffered from orthorexia where I was um believing some of the stuff that was out there that was kind of in in the health realm and then not really looking at the research properly so it's it's a really difficult one I think it all depends on who we follow uh, you know who, who what podcasts do we listen to who do we follow on social media and I think red flags are when people take really extreme approaches when they're talking about you know, never have this and never have that. This is terrible for your health. Those are kind of red flags maybe to avoid. Um, I it's, it's tricky because I think you want to follow something that is a balanced approach rather than 
about the extremes. So going back to that diet mindset, which is about that all or nothing, food is good or bad, you must restrict. I think if you're following and listening to advice that is in that category, then maybe those are red flags and you want to move towards following advice where food is a lot more neutral there's a bit more gray and people say things like it depends because kind of it does. And I know this is something that you talk a lot about Noel as well is that all of our bodies are different. So what works for me isn't necessarily going to work for someone else. So mm. um, following people who who have that kind of line of thinking as well, I think is really important too. I think it's good to have a healthy skepticism of anything anybody mm -hmm. ever says. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, even yes. our, even us, you know, even even this <laughs> podcast, be skeptical and, and do your own research and your own, you know, ask the questions because that's I, mm. you know, I'm trying to think of like, how do I approach it? And I'm skeptical of anything anybody says until I have done the research myself and have seen mm. it, um, you know, help people or change lives in a way that is if this works for you, like if, if I see somebody like you just said, if I see somebody who says this is the one way that you do it and mm -hmm. this is how it works for everybody, that's a huge red, red flag. But if you yeah. there are people out there who I trust with, you know, interpretations of articles and studies and stuff like that, because they have an understanding that. This can work for some people, but it it's also mm -hmm. not going to work for others. You have to have that mm -hmm. foundation of everybody's individual there is this unique bio individuality and so yeah it there's no one size fits all approach and we have information powerful information from literature but we also have to know how to interpret that literature we yeah. can't just read headlines <laughs> we can't we have to look at motivation of people doing science and literature and a lot of times people have very specific biases and their motivation is is you know specific to how they see the world and what they believe and so i think it's really good to see both sides of the coin never mm. take something at face value um if it's in a headline from the media you can you can bet that you probably are going to have to do more research on that one cuz they like to grab you know unfortunately what is popular is what is salacious and or easy and or mm -hmm. quick fixes and or easy buttons. And so that's what's highlighted so often. Whereas this complicated story of, well, not there's no one size fits all approach and you have to figure out what works for you <laughs> is not going to sell. So um, yeah. bioindividuality yeah. isn't sexy. And, and that's, you know, the hard that's the hard part. Um, mm. So, yeah. Okay, next question is from Jamie. She says, if we got well by following a specific type of diet, for me, it was paleo, then how do we not pursue dieting? I still keep it as my focus, and it's hard to think that I could just eat whatever I want. So another great question, I think, because I guess a lot of it comes down to what we were talking about earlier is that it's the mindset and why you're following paleo. Because if, let's say, you were following paleo, obviously, I don't know your background, but if you were following paleo specifically um, to lose weight, um, or is it just that this kind of eating actually makes you feel really good? And I think that 
maybe a little bit of exploration for yourself, kind of internal work, really tuning into your body and understanding how it feels when you eat certain foods. So if you are, um, if you felt really good doing paleo um, and you find that certain foods make you feel not so good because like the example we gave earlier, it gives you a stomach ache, then I think it's perfectly fine to say, well, I have a preference not to eat this because it gives me a stomach ache. But if you're following paleo because it's what diet culture tells you to do, then maybe the next steps is to explore actually, yeah, what would happen if you sat down and ate some ice cream or you um, did some, you know, you ate something that was off that plan. And again, this is a journey I've been on. And when I do that, I always do it in a very purposeful way. So taking ice cream as an example, I would sit down, put some in a bowl, like really eat and savor it to see do is it because you've been telling yourself for so long you don't you, you can't eat it so you're not eating it or do you actually like it when i went through that process with ice cream i actually found out that i genuinely don't ice like ice cream it wasn't diet culture speaking i just don't like it but then when i went through that process eating a bowl of chips <laughs> i realized i do like chips and from time <laughs> yeah. to time i will order chips just because that feels like the right thing to do so you might find you go through that process and that maybe the extreme form of paleo is too rigid for you and maybe you can relax the rules but over time I think it's about yeah learning what are food rules that are have been imposed and you've just followed them or maybe um, it's now food preferences so yeah I think it's about coming at it from a very open curious place exploring tuning into your body really understanding what those other foods do how they make you feel yeah this one's from ali she says i'm i have a hard time with losing weight without dieting in quotations Mm -hmm. i'm definitely overweight and need to lose weight to feel good i feel the weight of my body and it's uncomfortable i feel stuck but if i really want to get it off it feels tempting to go on a diet yeah, so I totally get this as well, that temptation to go on a diet. Um, and I think for me, this question, there's a lot of unpicking there. So obviously, we've already talked about that whole kind of core belief around sort of thinner equals healthier. And in your question, you've sort of talked about feeling uncomfortable um, as you are and feeling stuck. So I guess I would really encourage you to to question whether um, you're wanting to lose weight again because diet culture has this sort of thin ideal or whether there are other reasons. And often when I work with some, some of my clients, I find that actually it's not so much about the losing weight. It's maybe they want to have more strength and stamina or they want to not feel so out of breath or um, they want to feel like... I mean, I say lighter, but not not lighter as in because of their weight, but kind of a, a lighter feeling around them. Um, and I think one of the things that I really work with my clients to do is focusing on health promoting behaviors. So putting weight loss on that back burner 
and for a moment just sort of forget about the idea of losing weight and dieting and thinking about if you are feeling uncomfortable in your body is are there other ways to help you feel more comfortable maybe it is about having more activity in your week maybe there's something around um i don't know things that you're cooking that kind of thing but i would definitely um do that but one thing i also would want to say is that um you you said you're definitely overweight but again if you explore a lot of the research a lot of the research actually suggests that people in that BMI category i mean i have something else to say about BMI anyway but um which i don't think's very um an appropriate way to measure people but anyway but actually people in the quote unquote overweight BMI category have the best long term health outcomes so I would, yeah, that kind of the question I would have definitely explore, like what it is you're worried about and that uncomfortableness is that about um, because you feel like you should lose weight or is it because you want to feel better in your body? Because I think those are two quite different things. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things, Ali, that would be helpful too is just explore what things help you feel better without this mm. cloud of is this helping me lose weight? Because a lot of times when we're pursuing, when we say we're pursuing things that are like healthy and we're we're doing health, we're really clouded by, well, is this moving the number on the scale? Mm. And we so know true. that there are a lot of things that move the number on the scale that aren't sustainable and don't help us long term and actually don't improve our health. So what mm. if you could shift your mindset from, I know I need to lose weight to what helps me feel better in my body? Just like you said, yeah. Laura, which is, you know, how can I start moving more? What, you know, what foods help me feel better and what foods maybe don't make me feel that great and let me gravitate more towards those so that you're not so weighted down, you know, pun mm. intended, pun intended by this idea that like, well, I need to be focusing on weight loss and that's going to help me feel better. Mm. Instead, focus on what's going to help me feel better and see how that improves your health. Mm. Um, okay. So this is the Second to last one. Okay, so Kelly says, this question could not have come at a more appropriate time for me. I exercise five days a week. I eat mostly plant-based with some meat and fish sprinkled in, drink water, limit dairy and desserts. Essentially, I'm doing, in quotations, all the things that you're supposed to do for a healthy body. But I went to my PCP this week and I was told I was in the overweight category, which crushed me. I feel like I'm in good shape. I definitely am active and I'm extremely food conscious. Now I feel like I need to go to previous extremes of calorie counting and severe restriction with the hundreds of definitions of healthy out there. How should I be defining what health is for me versus what I'm being told by conflicting sources, i.e. eat lean meat, eat no meat, don't weigh in constantly, weigh in daily? I'm an avid listener to this podcast, so while I am trying to tell myself to do what makes me feel the healthiest, best version of myself, I can't shake the voices in my head pulling me in a million different healthy directions. Thank you. Wow. Uh, first, I just want to say so sorry, Kelly, because I feel like the first part of what you talked about that is that you sound like until you had that moment where you were told you were in the overweight category, you felt quite positive about what you're doing. So it's, it's I think, really sad that this 
you know, you, as you said, you're doing all the healthy things for a healthy body and feeling good in yourself. So I would say to, and I, and I feel like we need to talk about this BMI thing because it's now come up in two questions. It's like, please don't place too much attention to your BMI because you're, you've been told you're in the overweight category, but that BMI was never intended to be used for individuals and certainly not in clinical settings. I have, I, I can get on such a rant about BMI because it was, I think it can be so damaging. I think this is a, a perfect example of how damaging it can be because you are doing the health promoting behaviors, yet you're being told that you're in that um, overweight category. And I, and I un understandably have sent you into that negative spin. The reasons why BMI is, is just rubbish <laughs> I think number one it doesn't count for muscle mass it sounds like you're, you're very active BMI doesn't account for body composition so it actually doesn't account for whether a person has lean mass or body fat and we know that um, muscle you know you can you can end up heavier but according to BMI um, if you're if you've got more muscle on your body also BMI doesn't reflect today's women so it was actually developed um, using a population of women in the 1830s who were shorter and less muscly than women women are today, so it's uh, it's not even reflective of what today's women are like. And also, BMI categories are so arbitrary. Now, I don't know if you know this, Kelly, but basically, in but before 1998, in order to be in the the overweight category, you needed to be um, 27 and above in the BMI. And in 1998, um, it was changed overnight because of the National Institute of, of Health. They changed the threshold down to 25. So literally overnight, millions of people became overweight, even though they hadn't been the day before. And the thing that makes me so mad about this is that National Institutes of Health, who changed it, is influenced by the International Obesity Task Force, and they are funded by two pharmaceutical companies that make weight loss drugs. So it was in their best interest to change that threshold so that they had more people to sell this drug to. So, and I think the final thing that makes me so mad about BMI, which I think is your classic example, Kelly, is that it means that Clinicians end up drawing the wrong conclusions about people. So they will say to people who are doing all the right things, like you said, you know, you're you're moving, you're doing lots of different types of exercise, you clear, you know, you say that you're you're eating well, but yet you've been told this. And there's a load of research, and this is sort of more recent research, that's actually finding that um, people in the normal, the quote unquote normal BMI category, about 30% of people in that category can be um, unhealthy for other reasons like met metabolic um, issues. And actually a lot of people even, and I'm not just talking about the overweight category, I'm talking about the quote unquote obese category um, who can be very healthy from a metabolic perspective where they have good blood pressure, normal cholesterol, good Glucose, glucose levels and stuff. So I think we cannot judge a person's health by their weight. And this is a really good example of it. One thing I would just really implore you is not to go back to that extreme of severe restriction and calorie counting, because I don't think that will do you any good. I would say 
I would say ignore that feedback <laughs> about the category. I really would because I just don't think it's telling you anything helpful about you. And I think what you're you're doing, what it sounds like you're doing is that you, you know, you already have a good approach to food and exercise. Yeah, oh. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I would say ignore that. Um, it, you yeah. know, this is very similar to letting the scale dictate whether we think yeah. we're successful or not. So you could be doing all these things. And there's so many other biomarkers out there, Kelly. And mm. you're using them. You're taking them. You're assessing your sleep, your stress, how you're feeling, your energy. You know, we can take all this blood work and understand so much about our metabolic health, our insulin and our, you know, inflammatory markers. We have we can have so much data. But for some reason, you know, doctors stay so focused on this BMI scale, which is extremely outdated. It was never meant as a tool. It was never meant to be used as a tool to assess an individual's health. It was more of like a population allocation of government resources. It scientifically makes no sense. There's no reason to square a person's height. It was really added to (laughs) the formula to make the data work. Like there's just so many things that are red flags that are like, this shouldn't be how we're telling people whether they're healthy or not. Yet, that's what a lot of doctors or medical professionals or even, you know, whatever, health coaches and stuff, that's what they default to. And Mm -hmm. it's lazy. It is lazy and it's irresponsible. And so I think that if you are looking at all your other biomarkers and you are finding that you are feeling good, your biomarkers are great, your hormones are great, and you're you're feeling healthy, that there is no reason to try go back to restricting calories. There's no reason mm. to restrict calories and jump on some diet to help you get out of some arbitrary category that isn't it's not going to make you any healthier than you are now. So I think, you know, yeah. and and maybe at some point that changes. Maybe you decide, you know, or maybe later on in your life, you find that your sleep quality is is bad or you're, you know, you have more anxiety or, you know, your inflammatory markers have gone up. And so then you have to figure out, okay, how can I reduce stress? Health is about reducing stress and reducing inflammation. And our society has made it about focusing on weight loss. And it's crazy. So how how can yeah. you move forward with making shifts that reduce stress, reduce inflammation and, you know, being solely focused on BMI is just not going to get you there. So um, <laughs> we have a similar rant about this. So uh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just couldn't. I couldn't let that one go. Last question is from Kelsey. She says, what are some tips for balancing thoughts, feelings around diet culture, especially with a bad history with it when you have been diagnosed with the health issue that is helped by specific dieting or exercise? For me, it's fatty liver disease. I made some good gains last summer by eating in quotations better and exercising more, but went a little into the familiar diet culture tailspin that triggered additional bouts of depression and anxiety, leading to paralysis about how to get back on the wagon again. So when you know that you, let's even say you have a gluten intolerance or an allergy or whatever, or you know, you know, you have an autoimmune condition and you know that certain foods do not help that condition, how do you not go into that tail, that diet culture tailspin? And I know we mentioned this earlier, but I do think it might be helpful just to kind of reinforce it. Yes. And I I would love to share a personal um, story here, actually, because when I read this, Kelsey, I was like, wow, I so hear you and I feel you. Because about 18 months ago, I was actually diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And Mm. I'm fortunate in that I have it very mildly. But if you go and look out there, 
the all the advice is to change and restrict your diet. So when I was reading Kelsey's example, I was like, that's exactly what I was told. But personally, I know it's a real slippery slope for me because I've now suffered from two eating disorders and I honestly never want to go down that path again. Um, and so one of the things it's been a real journey for me is like, how do I personally navigate this situation without becoming super restrictive and then ending up, you know, whether it would be orthorexia or something, I just don't want to go down that path. And so what I've personally done is try to focus on what I can add to my life to support me, um, rather than thinking about, um, thinking about like subtracting, you know, restricting and stuff. So I know that um, sleep <laughs> is a big thing that impacts actually a lot of health issues. And so what I've started to do is sleep a lot more. Wow, it makes such a huge difference. And also stress, you know, stress, I think, is such an unspoken about thing that impacts all sorts of health issues, whether it's autoimmune conditions, or just like anything to do with our immunity. And so personally, I've had a real look at my everything I do in, in my working life and my home life and trying to reduce the the amount of stress I have. So when I was reading this thing, I was just thinking maybe it's more about what you can add to your life that's going to support you um, rather than thinking about sub subtracting. So maybe there's things that you can add to your weekly routine that can really help help you. Maybe it's not just about um, eating and exercise. Maybe there are more lifestyle things. Maybe it's about, um, I, I don't know, even like more relaxation techniques or learning how to reduce the stress in your life. Um, having, and I think it's having a slightly different mindset around it. I've had to work so much on this, like thinking about what's your mindset around how you're approaching this so that if you do end up restricting, you're restricting from the point of view or you're cutting things out from the point of view of how it makes you feel and what impact it has rather than um, because you have to. And I think it's it's putting that choice back in. So yeah, I could do this if I wanted to, but it's not going to make me feel good. So I'm not going to. So I, you know, I hope that that is helpful in thinking about maybe more what you can add into your maybe diet or your weekly routine or anything else. I know that it's been helpful for me at least. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I will just say as a final thought, you can go on a diet if you want to. Like there's nobody like yeah. we're just <laughs> we're just making recommendations, right, that we think are going to help you long term physically, mentally, emotionally. And but if you you know, some people want to do Weight Watchers, some and that's, you know, controversial for me to say, but if you want to do that, I am not going to stop you. I'm not going to tell you what you should be doing for your body. I, I can make recommendations. I can offer help. But know that at any point you can go on a diet if you want to. You can test those waters again and you can, uh, you know, figure out how does that uh, impact you? How does that make you feel physically, mentally and emotionally? What things do you, uh, you know, what, com what comes out of that? You have the freedom mm. to do that at any point. And or you could choose a different path. Like it, it, it's completely up to you and how you want to live your life and how you want to feel long term. So, um, restriction either way is not. <laughs> I'm not in favor of. Um, and I just want 
everybody to be able to understand the benefits of each, you know, for, you know, pursuing different, mm. going different ways with your health or to making different choices and understanding how that impacts you and somehow coming to an understanding of, I'm going to live my life this way and I'm going to do it this way. And this is the way that's because it makes me feel great. I know mm. my health thrives yeah. when I, when I do this and, you know, my biomarkers are all great. My hormones are great. I'm getting my period. I'm not so consumed with, you know, my body 24 seven, like this is the right path for me. And I think that if we mm. can all find that and be honest with ourselves as we're on this journey, that's going to, you know, lead us all to to a place in which is great for us, is right for us. Not yeah. what's right for somebody else, yeah. but what's right for us. So yeah. thank you, Dr. Laura, for being here. Your website is drlaurazib.com. She also has a great Instagram. Yeah. I will link to that on um, in our show notes. Anything else that you would like to mention or that you're working on? Uh, yeah, no, just if anyone wants to check out what I do, best place to find me is on Instagram. I enjoy a bit of Instagram. Yeah, it's it's fun. I, I saw your reels. I thought they were hilarious. So um, <laughs> definitely follow her on Instagram. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Laura. I really appreciate you just diving in um, on this topic. And I know it's complicated and there's a lot to unpack, but you were so helpful with your your knowledge. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been great to chat. Yeah. All right. For more from me, coconutsandkettlebells.com. Thank you guys for being here. Um, I will talk to you next week.